This is Need to Know. Real talk about unidentified anomalous phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coulthard. From the U.S., Bryce Zabel. Well, we're back after the holiday and we are ready to roll. And uh, I'm here in Los Angeles. I'm Bryce Zabel. Let me bring in my partner, Ross Coulthard, over in uh, Australia. How were your holidays, Ross? They were very good, Grandpa Bryce. Congratulations. Thank you. Ross is, uh, I didn't didn't think I'd make it 30 seconds into this before that came up. Um, (laughs) Yes, I'm a grandfather, uh, first time grandfather. Uh, I'm way too young to be a grandfather, of course, but uh, these things happen. It's uh it it is interesting though. Uh this uh the birth of my granddaughter happened at eleven o'clock at night on New Year's Eve. And so it was uh touch and go all night long, whether it was going to be a New Year's baby or a New Year's Day baby. And um it's actually both because if you think about it, uh my granddaughter was born at eleven o'clock at night Pacific Coast time, which means she was also born on the 20 uh in 2024 on the east coast so she's got it all she's going to be celebrating birthdays like you can't believe anyway that's what i've been up to and some other things but it was a good holiday glad to be back well after the after the smoking ruin that was the ufo disclosure uap disclosure at the end of 2023 i wonder what kind of world she's going to grow up in. I, I wonder if she will grow up in a world where there is an admission about an NHI, a non-human intelligence on this planet. I I agree with you. And I know we're going to talk later about uh, 2024 and beyond. But um, actually, um, that is something I've been thinking about. Uh, s- seeing this uh, little girl and thinking about what her life is uh, going to to turn out to be and what about this shadow of this secrecy over this this uh, uap ufo issue um i tend to come down on the point of view that we should be doing what we perceive is right for her at this point she's got the new life she's starting we've had our time uh to to run this thing and we probably haven't done the best job in the world so i would say it's time for all of us to sort of admit that uh, there is something extraordinary going on with this phenomenon uh to ask ourselves uh what we should do about it and to let the decisions that we make about it be the ones that are most relevant to these young people uh, because they are going to inherit the world that that we let be an 80-year secret so that's kind of my take as a grandfather. So let's talk about 2023. I mean, obviously, the year ended with a desolate landscape. You, you saw the emasculation, the castration of the proposed Senator Schumer amendment to the National Defence Authorization Act, an amendment that would have brought in a nine-member review panel appointed by the president uh, to essentially declassify the UAP records going back the last 80, 90 years. Um, It would have also imposed eminent domain confiscation on any NHI technology or biologics. It would have been a groundbreaking moment. And um, I I, I just think about what might have been if that momentous legislation had been passed at the end of last year. But I, I still think, my friend, we've come a long way in the last few years, even though there's been that enormous setback there have been such enormous advances, enormous breakthroughs in terms of disclosure. I agree. Um, I did, before we went on, write down what I thought were the highlights of 2023. I think there can be no doubt that David Grush is the highlight. I wrote down the year of Grush. I mean, whether it was uh, 
I mean, he was he had his fingers in everything this year. And and frankly, Ross, uh, kudos to you and to uh, uh, the other reporters uh, over at the debrief, uh, Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal, who who broke the story. You of course got crush on News Nation in the shot that was the interview that was heard around the world. But in addition to the year of Grush, these are the other highlight stories that I think of from last year. Those congressional hearings where not only did Gabe, Dave Grush show up, uh, but so did David Fravor and Ryan Graves, and they all held their hands up and swore to tell the truth. Uh, and they testified under oath before Congress. And anyone who has seen Dave Grush's uh, interview with you or, or the uh, many other interviews he's done since knows that he was telling the same story to Congress under oath. So think about that. The other thing that you mentioned, of course, that was the big news was the Schumer rounds amendment. It didn't turn out to be, I mean, as written, it was mind blowing, as we pointed out, some 20 references to non-human intelligence. Um, it didn't get passed the way that uh, we thought it might, <clears throat> but it did get passed in some form. There is UAP language in it. And that seems to be something that has happened now. Every year, the uh, National Defense Authorization Act goes forward and there's language put in about UAP and, and it makes it through. The other big story, of course, from 23 uh, was the February uh, shootdowns of uh, the UAP over the United States a story that is still, uh, according to your own reporting, still a story and has not been satisfactorily explained. So, you know, there are other things, but those are what I would call the big four. It's funny. I, I just want to put on record something that Chuck Schumer said in his 13th of December colloquy. I had to look that word up, by the way. I'd never heard of a colloquy with Senator Mike Rounds, where they <clears throat> lamented the blocking of the Schumer Amendment. Um, and this is what he said. And I think this is going to turn out, I think, in the long run to be a very significant statement by Senator Schumer. Quote, we've also been informed, sorry, we've also been notified by multiple credible sources that information on UAPs has also been withheld from Congress, which, if true, is a violation of laws requiring full notification to the legislative branch especially as it relates to the four congressional leaders, the defence committees and the intelligence committees. Now, I'm told also that that is a statement of intent by Senator Schumer. They're not going to let the UAP disclosure issue go. They are aware, of course, that their attempts to get through legislation were blocked. But I do think we're going to see more action in Congress, and I think that's already underway. You know, it seems, Ross, that what's increasingly happening, whether you are satisfied or dissatisfied with the breaking of the news, but what's increasingly happening is that people are saying the quiet part out loud. The stuff that used to be talked about on the fringes is now right there front and center. Because at that same meeting, by the way, where uh, Schumer said what you just quoted, uh, Rounds was in that meeting and he gave his own speech and he referenced, this is a quote from his speech, UAP material or biological remains that may have been provided to private entities in the past and thereby hidden from Congress and the American people. I mean, for crying out loud, that thing is fraught with uh, disclosure thoughts and uh, confrontations at the legislative level. I mean, it's acknowledging UAP material, biological remains, 
uh, private ent entities such as uh, those aerospace companies that uh, don't want to have anything they've got taken by eminent domain. And then also the idea of secrecy, ongoing secrecy that have kept information about this UAP issue from the American people um, and also from Congress. So uh, if you just go with what these two guys said in their sort of farewell to their NDAA contribution back in December, as you said, they've got put some stuff on the table that that's going to have big ramifications in 2024. Now, I noticed, I just want to put it on record as well, Bryce, there's been some speculation that there was no pushback from the defence aerospace industry. Uh, one commentator suggested that it was rubbish that the aerospace industry was running a lobby against the Schumer Amendment. And I'm telling you, there's nothing further from the truth than that assertion. Um, I know for a fact, because I've spoken to people in defence aerospace, who admit that they were running a lobby, particularly against the eminent domain legislation. And frankly, as I've indicated on the podcast before, I, I'm kind of sympathetic to this. Uh, if, if, you're a, if you're an aerospace company and you were gifted by the American government 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, non-human technology and asked to investigate uh, and, and, and invest public corporation monies into trying to back engineer that technology, why should the state have the right to assert the right to confiscate those assets? I think the state should have a right to know about them. But there, there does become, there's a, there's a concept in law, essentially, of, of a prescriptive easement, that when you've been in possession of land, property for 30 years, after a while, you own it, unless somebody's contested that ownership. And that's in English law. And I just wonder whether it's fair that the Congress was proposing eminent domain for companies that perhaps indeed have spent their own money on trying to reverse engineer this technology. And I, I guess I just want to flag that maybe Congress did go a bit too far. Hmm. Maybe the eminent domain laws were a bad idea. I'd certainly like to see that issue discussed, and I suspect that anything new that comes out of Congress might take that in mind. I'd certainly be very sad if we don't ever see the nine-member presidential records review board, because I think that's a, a very, very important part of the declassification process. Well, you know, you and I are uh, always going to disagree about the eminent domain issue. Uh, we did a round about that in our last uh, episode. I, I just see it differently. But one thing I did want to uh, bring up here is uh, going into this one, we had used our um, need to know Twitter platform to ask people to comment on uh, various things they thought were the most important of 23 and what they thought might be happening in 24. But a lot of people took the time to ask questions. And on that issue, I just wanted to read this one person's question. I wish I could find their name, but I don't have it in front of me right now. But they wrote, if only a select few defense contractors have UAP materials, then why aren't the other defense contractors suing the government for such unfair treatment? Having crash materials or even intact crafts must be the biggest competitive advantage ever. And I thought, you know, Ross, that's a, actually a different POV for us to look through this one. What's your take? You know, we we may disagree about whether eminent, I'm not a lawyer like you are, so I, I'm not legally uh, up to speed on what eminent domain must be, but I'm certainly sympathetic to the use of it to get these things. But Let's answer this person's question. If only a select few have the materials, why aren't the other defense contractors suing them to get in on the game? 
Look, that's a very good point, Bryce. And and look, under the SEC laws, under your disclosure laws in your um, public corporations laws in, in America, like here in Australia and in, in Europe and the UK, there is a requirement for full and continuous disclosure. So if you're floated on the American Stock Exchange as a public corporation like Lockheed Martin or Northrop Grumman, one of the big defence aerospace companies, you're obliged to reveal anything that is material to your share price. And so if somebody buys shares and sells those shares without ever being told that they're sitting on maybe Lockheed Martin, for example, let's just hypothesize Lockheed Martin. Let's suggest that, say, Lockheed Martin had a couple of flying saucers sitting in their basement, possibly the most valuable items on the planet. Uh, it would be it would be materially relevant to the share price of that corporation that the shareholders are not being told the value of the assets that are held within the company. And if somebody sold their shares, they do. They would have a legitimate claim on the corporation for not revealing the extent of their interests in those assets. And I do know there are lawyers, there are plaintiff lawyers that are already in the process of preparing legal actions. And this may be one of the ways that this story is eventually pried out into the open. And I can tell you, I mean, I've had conversations with not high level, but fairly senior executives in one defense aerospace corporation that reached out at me. And they were they were speaking hypothetically, but clearly with intent. And we were discussing exactly this point, that there is an obligation on corporations to disclose what they have because it's materially relevant to share price. And those corporations, if it's true that they are sitting on recovered non-human technology, it is the most valuable item on the planet beyond any shadow of a doubt. It'd be worth more than anything else. And um, I can see why they would be fighting to keep control of that technology. And I can see why they would also be terrified of having to account to their shareholders for the fact that they've never revealed that they've got it. It's it's a problem. Uh, It's interesting. Uh, About a decade ago, Richard Dolan and I wrote AD After Disclosure, which is relevant to what everybody is talking about right now. Is there going to be disclosure, confirmation, limited disclosure, catastrophic disclosure? You know, pick from the menu what what you think. But one thing that Dolan and I stumbled across as as a core belief early on was that a lot of uh, how disclosure will be handed, handled has already been sort of laid out in how we've handled other things. So, for example, we came to the conclusion that the courts would be extremely active in disclosure. We have just raised one of those issues right now. As an example, the eminent domain issue uh, ultimately won't be resolved by what Ross thinks or I think. It'll be resolved uh, eventually in a court. Another great example of that, just so it could, you can do your own homework at home thinking about these uh, possibilities, but one of them would be, okay, if the government knew about uh, the existence of UAP and had seen proof of it and felt that it was a, a, a complicating factor for air safety, then there's probably some class action suits that could be followed, uh, filed. What about all the passengers who wouldn't have gotten on a plane if they thought that there were really UAP flying around there? What about all the pilots who tried to report a UFO and then found their career floundering because they were uh, ridiculed and stigmatized? Uh, a lot of these people may have lawsuits in the future, and it won't stop with those issues. Like I say, there's going to be a lot of things that are on the table. And we're just now, 
as we as we peek through the the curtains and say, "Wow, disclosure isn't as impossible as it used to be." You start to ask these questions, and on impossible, I'll just leave with this one thought. At the end of our process, Richard and I came up with uh, the, the only way we could think to explain it. We said, "Disclosure is impossible, but inevitable," and which, of course, is a contradiction. And yet, if I had to write that book again this year, I would leave out the impossible. It's no longer impossible. I mean, it's maybe it's not in front of us, but it's definitely somewhere out there and, and could be happening. I think it's inevitable. The questions that are going to be uh, further discussed in 2024 and, and in the years beyond that are going to be the questions of inevitability. If it's inevitable, are we doing the proper amount of work to do it right? And I would say, Ross, based on the all the shows that you and I have done over the last couple of years, uh, the answer to that would have to be a resounding no. If if what is currently going on with disclosure is somebody's grand plan, then I don't think it was thought out. We're sort of lumbering toward disclosure is more how I would put it these days. I think you're right, Bryce. I don't think there is a plan for disclosure. I mean, I think there are some people that think that there is a concerted group inside the Pentagon who are you know, actively lobbying against a, um, a mass of people who are opposed to try and push this out into the open. I think what is the case is that there are individuals. Um, and the thing I'm fascinated in, and I'm going to draw on your understanding of American presidential politics, which is probably better than mine. I'm just wondering, we're going into an election year here. Do you think UAPs will be an election year issue in 2024? Uh, you'd have to say no, based on where we stand right now, uh, because for years I've been saying it's going to get in the election. I was saying that about 2020. And then I was saying about October surprises, which still is a possibility, I would imagine. But so far, there doesn't seem to be any evidence that it will find its way in a legitimate way into uh, either the debates or the election itself, because for it to be legitimate, you would have to take it seriously. And uh, we've only got one great example of that from the debates when Chris Christie was asked about it and completely turned it into a joke and had the audience laughing. And, you know, let's face it, um, UAPs, such as they exist, are a national security concern. Uh, the government itself has told us that. And yet, it didn't get in those debates. So here's what I would say. Uh, we're about to talk about 24. There are a number of things which, if they happen in the middle of a campaign, could cause those issues to get into the debates. Currently, no, not likely. Uh, then, of course, you have the fact that you have two presidents, potentially, Biden and Trump, running against each other. These guys have a better idea than most about what's actually going on out there. They've seen some classified stuff. Maybe maybe they were uh, given an opportunity not to get the full briefing so they'd have plausible deniability. I can't speak to that. But they know uh, more of the details than the average uh, uh, citizen. And either one of them could get desperate and say, you know, I need a big uh, distraction in this election or I'm gonna lose. And it could go either way. I could make an argument for either one of them doing it. So yeah. Um, not going to get there now, might easily happen based on uh, something that we're not foreseeing right at this moment. There's more to come because you need to know.
I mean, if I was Joe Biden, knowing that you've got the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, on side, you've got some key Democrat leaders who are actually quite motivated, much more motivated than I think they're willing to say publicly, um, I would pull an October surprise. I mean, imagine yeah. if, imagine if you're the President of the United States and you come to the podium. Let's Let's hypothetically, for the debunkers out there, let's assume this is all true. Let's assume that it is the case that the United States is sitting on non-human technology, that there are non-human biologics sitting in a shed somewhere that are being guarded by grim-faced soldiers. And let's assume that for some national security reason that we don't quite understand, maybe it's to do with weaponry, the US is keeping this all secret. I still don't understand, and I think you and I have discussed this many times, I still do not understand why... A president can't show leadership, can't show moral spine and admit, at least, we are not alone. I mean, I think the evidence for that is increasingly becoming overwhelming. It, and if I was a president looking for a way of unifying the American people in your beautiful but terribly fractured country, I don't think I've ever seen America so divisive as I did when I was traveling around America in November, October this year. It's just amazing to me how bitterly divided your country is at the moment. And looking from out within, it's it's shocking. And I, if I was a president, I'd be looking for something that could unify the people. And what could be more unifying than, say, in October 2024, an American president walks to the podium and says, ladies and gentlemen, it's time we told you the truth. We are not alone. Yeah. Well, lots of luck. Don't go to Vegas and put any money on that one, my friend. Listen, um, the truth of the matter is, uh, well, we, as an example, uh, I have a column I write on Medium, and the the article I wrote that got the most traction of everything I've done there was the speech I wrote for Joe Biden trying to explain that we're not alone. And, uh, you know, people enjoyed that, but it was an act of fiction and not nonfiction. Uh, Richard Dolan and I in um, AD After Disclosure actually started with a presidential announcement only because it was dramatic and we, we you know, we're, we're drawn to the drama. But the truth of the matter is, the president is not likely to lead. The president is likely to follow. Uh, Biden was not the first guy out there when we were shooting down drones from China or wherever. Um, he came to speak about it later. And uh, clearly, if something that gives great uh, uh, evidence toward the existence of UAP as being NHI, well, Biden won't probably be the first guy to have to speak about it. Um, having said that, though, uh, we you, when you talk about the divisiveness in this country, which is so true, uh, you also have to say it's in unsettled times that the chance of something that has been regimented and, and uh, organized around, such as the UAP reality issue, um, the more uh, crazy the times are, the more likely it can slip out. And uh, I think we know one thing about Donald Trump, and please don't send me letters or emails about this. It's just an observation. He tends to say what he's thinking about. And uh, first, uh, he speak first and worry about it later, uh, which, you know, many of his uh, uh, supporters like. But the question is, if he does that, he if there is UFO, UAP news you, that that is getting him asked about it, he's liable to say probably more than he was supposed to. 
So it could get interesting fast. And that might be what draws uh, Biden into the East Wing to deliver some kind of speech. I don't look for it because I've been hoping for it for so damn long, thinking that it should happen. Now I say it's not the thing that's again, it's not the start. It's just a continuation of something that goes on. So that's my take. I should explain, Bryce. My main camera crapped out while you and I were talking ah. just now, so I've had to I've had to go to my laptop camera. So I apologise for the, I, the scene I change. Love that, I love <laughs> that you have operational redundancy, and I hope that you know obviously no. obviously what you've got for redundancy is what these UAPs should have because they keep crashing. <laughs> I uh, no, basically it's just because I'm a technological luddite and I'm doing something wrong with my camera. Um, so listen. Um, one thing I think we should try and do is preview 2024. And yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I guess what's coming up first is this uh, Oversight and Accountability Committee meeting, which is happening sometime next week. Some people have said the 9th. Some people have said the 12th. I think it's more likely to be the 12th. And that's when um, there is finally going to be an opportunity for Thomas Monheim, the Intelligence Community Inspector General, to be questioned by members of the Oversight Committee, which is a House committee, uh, about the uh, circumstances in which he was approached by David Grush with complaints about the UAP issue and, and also the investigations that he conducted into Mr. Grush's allegations. And um, uh, I, I just want to warn people that I don't think, because they don't have the clearances, I don't think this is going to be a carte blanche briefing to all of these members. They're not read in. They don't have the tickets that allow them to be read in, to be security briefed about such extensive special access programs as the ones that David Grush has revealed. So I think the best case scenario that we might get is an opportunity for the committee to at least satisfy itself that the Inspector General does believe that, yes, Mr. Grush's allegations are credible, and moreover, I'm hoping and praying that these committee members have the courage and the bravery to ask, is there other corroborative evidence which has been relied on by the Inspector General to make that conclusion? And that's the key point, because my understanding is that the Inspector General did question witnesses, that people came forward and gave evidence to the Inspector General that corroborated David Grush's allegations. And it was on that basis that the Inspector General took the issue to the Senate and to the House Intelligence Committees. And this is a really important moment at the beginning of 2024 to get the Intelligence Community Inspector General just to state clearly and definitively on the record why he found Mr. Grush's allegations to be credible. And I think that's very, Do you think very that's going to happen? Do you think that'll happen? Well, that a lot hangs, a my friend, statement? a lot hangs yeah. on whether or not the committee members can be read in to any of these special access programs. Because I think part of the problem is that the, the Oversight Committee does not normally look at the intelligence community. Uh, and the, the two intelligence community committees, there are a couple of friends uh, of disclosure on the intelligence committee in the Senate. But frankly, frankly the HIPSI uh, in, the, um, in the House uh, has basically been taken over by the defence aerospace industry. And so there's not really much chance of that committee asking hard questions. 
And so I, I guess a lot hangs on whether there can be a temporary read-in. It is possible for committee members on the Oversight Committee to get a special temporary read-in, which allows them to be temporarily read in and briefed into at least some of the special access programs that Grush is talking about. But my understanding is that there's about 20 to 25 SAPs, which are compartmentalised secret information, which essentially those committee members would have to be read into for them to be read into the full extent of what Mr Grush knows. And, and that's kind of hilarious when you think about it, Bryce, because if, as the debunkers say, this is all BS, why is there a national security classification on what Mr Grush knows? I, it's it's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery. Listen, I think that's all away. true, and I hope that it, there is a public component to that because we deserve it, and it would add some clarity. Uh, just a couple of things I wrote down on twenty four, by the way, Ross, that that I I believe uh, we might as well throw out there on the for sure is going to happen. Two publishing things sound re like they should be on that list. Uh, Lou Elizondo is probably going to drop that book of his that he's been talking about for so long. And supposedly it's going to be explosive. I'm not sure uh, in what direction. And maybe you do. And I also hear uh, that Grush uh, has promised to do some kind of op-ed uh, talking about his firsthand experience. Might be in the New York Times, might be in some other location. Do you have any thoughts on what's in uh rather what's in Elizondo's book or Grush's article? Look, what I do know about, Dr., uh, about Lou Elizondo's book is that apparently whatever is redacted, because it's still before the DOPSA, still before the Defence Office pre-publication security review for, for approval, and uh, Lou's told me that whatever is not allowed to be published in the book, he's going to include the black redactions to make it clear to people how much and what has been excised. And I think that's going to be very wearing on the minds of the people in defence, that the public are probably going to get to see for the first time just what is being redacted or how much is being redacted. Um, I, I am hearing that it's taking a lot longer for Mr Elizondo to get his uh, approval for his book than was expected. And um, I, I can only hope and pray that it happens sometime in this year, because really, frankly, it, it, it depends on them. It depends on the, the Defence Department as to how long they take. And the other query was David Grush. Um, my understanding is that David was recently cleared by DOPSA, the Defence Office pre-publication security review, to be able to speak with a little bit more detail about certain things that he wants to talk about. There was hope that he was going to be able to put this into an op-ed sometime in January, but it's looking like it might more likely be in February. But yes, we can expect a um, an op-ed piece, an editorial feature written by David Grush, which hopefully more clearly states what he knows and his position on the UAP mystery sometime in the next few weeks. That's all good news. And, you know, I guess the one thing I want to just speaking to our friends, Lou Elizondo and David Grush with Lou, I would say, make sure your book deals with that assessment that you so famously made that if you knew what I knew, you'd be sober about it, which I, or somber. He said somber right? He'd be somber. I People want to know the answer to that. So please don't write a book that doesn't tell us that. And Grush's op-ed, remember, he's the great, he's a great American hero. He's a great world hero. Um, he's so smart and he's so truthful. But um, 
the people who have tried to take him down a peg always tried to do that by saying, well, what's his firsthand experience? Um, so I hope to the extent that his article can address uh, any aspects of that, I think he should try to do it. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. What role do you think Arrow is going to take in 24? We know they're under new leadership, or soon will be, rather. Um, What do you think they're going to do? What role will they play? Look, it's interesting because a lot of the way Arrow conducted itself previously was um, very much under the influence of Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. And um, I know people inside Arrow, I've spoken to some other people inside Arrow who are good people and they're very motivated. They want you to know what they know. And they're very interested in trying to help the American public and the world find out more about the UAP mystery. And um, I, I think Frankly, inside Arrow, there's a sense of relief that Dr. Kirkpatrick has moved on. Oh, and by the way, Bryce, seeing we're on the subject, since we last broadcast, um, as I predicted, uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick has indeed gone to work at the Oak Ridge Nuclear Laboratory. As um, uh, it's, it's very, very funny because I, I put in an, a Freedom of Information Act request when I got a tip that uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, while he was working at Arrow, was being listed as a staff member. And sure enough, when I searched online, Dr. Kirkpatrick was listed as a staff member at Oak Ridge Nuclear Laboratory. And then, of course, when I put an FOI in, there was a denial that came back a few weeks after I'd gone public with this information, saying that he wasn't working at Oak Ridge Nuclear Laboratory. And I think somebody in the IT department had put what everybody already knew up online in anticipation of his appointment. Anyway, it came out in December that he is joining Oak Ridge Nuclear Laboratory. And I think that's very, very significant because, of course, that's a DOE-run facility in conjunction with a local university. And um, it's the Department of Energy, of course, that controls, I suspect, a lot of the UAP secrets. And and have for a long time. Uh, people may not appreciate it. You know, people always... Their first thing is, well, it's the Air Force that must be investigating UFOs. But in reality, the Navy's been uh, front and center as long as the Air Force. And, you know, the the Department of Energy, uh, most people thought, well, it'd be the Department of Defense that's all over the UFO issue. But in reality, the Department of Energy was created to watch over our nation's top secret, which was nuclear power. And it's and given that UFOs have been spotted repeatedly in a context of our nuclear energy and nuclear weapons uh, uh, standings, then then I guess that's also a good reason why the Department of Energy may be part of that. I, um, I, I but but by the way, just the whole finding uh, Sean Kirkpatrick on the payroll, man, I, that's journalism that I just love. It just it made me smile. And I again tip the old hat that I don't have on right now, but I tip it to you because whereas David Grush was monumentally important, what you did with uh, with Kirkpatrick on that is you just ask questions. You're just doing your job. You're just yeah, but running the, around. The lovely, thing about it, the, the lovely thing about it, Bryce, is it came from a tip. 
and and th that's the very important thing is I you know journalists like myself and like yourself we rely on tips we rely on people giving us a heads up and the thing I like is that your country I mean where I live in Australia a lot of people hate the media they really do and in America I think there's a there's a civics concept that is imbued in you in schools that recognizes the importance of media scrutiny about the scrutiny of the fourth estate and the thing I'm heartened by is that yeah, okay, we've had a huge setback with the knockback of the Schumer Amendment. We're not going to get the Presidential Records Review Board. We're not going to get eminent domain. But there's still an attitude inside the, the public service, inside the government, inside the military, that the media and the public have a right to know this stuff. Broadly speaking, excuse me for a moment. Broadly speaking, the the but people that's that I Patrick calling you right now. <laughs> I don't know who it was, but it was bad timing. If it Bro is, say hi speaking, for me. <laughs> right. Broadly speaking, that you know, the people that I talk to inside the program, scientists inside the program, they do not think there is any good justification for this to continue to be kept secret. Yes. They do think that there is potential weaponry, potential energy technology that should be kept confidential. But they think the public have the right to know. And as we go into 2024, you know, I just find it absurd that coming into 2024, my, my good friend Daniel Otis, a Canadian investigative journalist, asked Susan Goff, the um, Defence Department spokesperson, for the official US Defense Department position on UFOs. And she gave a statement just in the last few days. And this is how we start 2024 with the Defense Department. The Arrow, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, has not discovered any verifiable information to substantiate claims that any programs regarding the possession or reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently. Now, firstly, that's not answering Daniel's question. Daniel really. was asking about evidence inside the Defence Department. And there's this very coy and very clever response, which is always directed on behalf of Arrow. It's not responding on behalf of the Secretary of Defence or the, the Secretary of the Department of Energy. And, and to me, that that is... That is the disingenuous aspect of the way the Defence Department is playing this game. They're playing this game for some reason that you and I don't understand. They're delaying giving a definitive Defence Department response. So for 2024, I don't want to hear what Arrow thinks. I don't want to know whether Arrow has found out any ver verifiable information because I pretty much know that under Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, they weren't looking. They weren't bothered to look. Because he didn't want to know. Although the big if question I'm not mistaken, now, though, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, that's right. No. I was just going to say, um, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Kirkpatrick confirm something to the effect that some forty people had come in and told their rather convincing stories to him? Didn't? Am I well, making that and that's up? That's the issue. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, ultimately, it boils down to what you regard as verifiable information. And we're not clear because we don't get a report from Arrow or actually, is it from Arrow? I'm not sure. No, it's a separate issue. Under the National Defense Authorization Act that was signed at the end of 2022, there is still a requirement um, uh, for an annual report. And that's an annual report which will come in in June. And one of the things that I know Arrow is meant to be doing is this additional 
very, very significant historical record report on UAPs. It was meant to have been done within 540 days of the enactment date of the National Defence Authorisation Act in 2022, which was the 22nd of December. And so I did my numbers the other night, and that means that on the 14th of June this year, we are required to be provided to Congress a historical record And this is a really amazing piece of legislation, Bryce. It is going to require, oh my God, I'm going to have to put my glasses on. It is going to require that not later than 540 days, so that's the 14th of June after the enactment of the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2023, the director of the office shall submit to the Congressional Defense Committees, the Congressional Intelligence Committees, and the Congressional Leadership a written report detailing the historical record of the US government relating to UAPs, including the records and documents of the intelligence community, oral history interviews, open source analysis, interviews of current and former government officials, classified and unclassified national archives, including any records any third party obtained, any other relevant historical sources, um, and it also has to focus on the period beginning of January the 1st, 1945, and ending on the date on which the director of the office completes activities under this subsection, needs to include a compilation and itemization of key historical record of the involvement of the intelligence community with UAPs, including any program or activity that was protected by restricted access that has not been explicitly and clearly reported to Congress, any successful or unsuccessful attempts to identify and track UAPs, any efforts to obfuscate, manipulate public opinion, hide or otherwise provide incorrect, unclassified or classified information about unidentified anomalous phenomena. And um, those records shall be made available um, uh, to the, um, the, the National Archives records shall be made available to this office and they shall be maintained by the National Archives with essentially the intention that they eventually be released and declassified to the public. This is a potentially momentous year if they do their job. The need to know never stops. I think I understand why so many of the people who listen or watch our show uh, are focused on, well, is are we going to get disclosure this year? I, I'm not sure that, A, we even understand what the the definition of disclosure is, because when I talk to people, different people think about it differently. Um, all I can say is it appears that the historical arc of history is literally that we are at the end of the beginning. All right. The beginning may have gone on 80 years, uh, but now we've we put a wrap on that. And now we're getting on with disclosure of of a, of a type. But remember, um, there's disclosure and there's disclosure. Uh, I being a, uh, you know, a Hollywood type, look at it from those points of view. And I say you can either have a slow dissolve or a hard cut. And I think that's at the nature of what some of the people are asking about. They think that, um, you know, if we don't have a plan and we don't do this in an organized way, we're going to have what is commonly now being called catastrophic disclosure. And I'm not even sure that's the the point. Uh, It is true that stalling, uh, the gatekeepers who are stalling are not making this easier for themselves because uh, there are so many things on the table right now that could happen that would escalate us 
rapidly to the hard cut of disclosure instead of the slow dissolve. So it does seem to me that there is pressure building to get on with this thing. And, and, and I think that's appropriate. And I just wanted to uh, throw a couple of things out. I just started making a list before we went on of things that are always out there that if they happened before, uh, the time we're in would have been more astonishing uh, today. And an example with that of that would be a mass sighting. Uh, those of you who remember the Phoenix incident from 1997, that managed to still get swept under the rug. It wouldn't get swept under the rug today. A mass sighting over a major city anywhere in the world, particularly in America, would blow things apart. Uh, more hearings uh, would certainly uh, escalate the situation, new whistleblowers. Uh, I, in fact, I don't know where I heard this. Maybe it's just in my own head, but uh, imagine if a group of whistleblowers uh, all tell their story at the same time and dare the government to arrest them. Because if the story they're telling isn't true, then you can't be arrested for telling a non-true story, I don't think. So that would be interesting. Uh, as we talked about before, an actual statement from the White House, but I don't think that's coming. But there, there could be evidence of military contractors being in possession of uh, this technology. There could be evidence of biologics. I mean, I'm not making that word up. Dave Grush uses it all the time. Uh, how about a deathbed statement from Jimmy Carter? Not likely to happen, but again, something like that would focus people's uh, impressions uh, around it. Finding a photographic piece of evidence of an under underwater base, um, you know, an international collaboration leads to Canada or Mexico or China or Russia, somebody doing their own disclosure. I mean, there's just a lot on the table right now, Ross, and any one of them could blow the door down a little bit more and somebody else picks up and charges through it. So we are literally, as we talked about with the presidential stuff, there's one way to look at it, but every day we wake up and think about this topic, there's the possibility that everything we thought the situation was that day won't be that way tomorrow. And, and that is, I guess, why we like being journalists too, because it's always exciting. You're always learning new things. So we'll see. Yeah, and look, just one thing I want to end with, Bryce, for today is um, I'm hearing a lot of rumours about the James Webb Space Telescope having detected something significant. I tweeted about it just yesterday, but apparently NASA's announced the detection of a potential signature of extraterrestrial life in the atmosphere of a planet located 120 light years away. And apparently the James Webb Space Telescope produced a potential detection of the molecule dimethyl sulfide, which is only produced by living organisms on Earth. It's a tentative detection, and they're preaching caution before they declare it's aliens. But what we can expect is that there's going to be clarification of that this year. And I think that's one thing that the government of the United States is already aware of, and sitting on. I think they know the answer already. That's at least what I've been told. I think that's true. And and I'll just find this moment of closure. One thing that started happening in 23 at, at a greater pace and certainly is happening now is there's a continuing shift in perception going on. It used to be thinking about aliens uh, traveling across the vast distances of the universe in their little spacecraft. 
Well, now people are talking about consciousness. They're saying not so fast with aliens. Grush is talking about different uh, dimensions. Nobody is, these these craft that are crashing are in fact like the sports saucers, not possibly the motherships that did cross vast distances. We're just looking at this thing differently. And the the final thing that I would observe is stigma is still there around the topic. You've seen it, Ross. I've seen it. People who are listening have seen it. But it doesn't have the same traction it did before. More and more people have an open mind. And and if they say, you know, show me, show me the evidence, that doesn't bother me at all. That's what I say. Let's get the evidence. Let's take a look at it. And, you know, how interesting will it be if a year from now, Ross, as we look back and we go, wow, didn't see 2024 breaking it open like it did, but man, we are living in new times. I can only hope for that. I'll keep my fingers crossed. Truth will out, Bryce. Secrets have a way of wriggling their way to the surface. Go hit the beaches in Australia. I'll go garden a little bit. Go and, go and change nappies of that new little granddaughter you got, mate. Yeah. yeah. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Need to Know is a joint production of Stellar Productions and Powerful Owl Productions. The producer is Rich Johnson. Want more? Find more at needtoknow.today. That's needtoknow.today. Today.